And I guess there's kind of a, an upside and a downside to the message this morning. There's a negative and a positive. So don't get too down with the negative and get really high with the positive. We may not be at the end of the world, but we are at the world of the end, says David Jeremiah. Repent before it's too late. That's been the stark warning of Scripture since John the Baptist strode into the desert and then baptized Jesus in preparation for his mission on earth. But you know, now there's a, there's a kind of new immediacy that perhaps we've never experienced before. Because Christ's return is near and time is short. Let's look at the words of Jesus to his disciples on the Mount of Olives. When he was asked, what will, this, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Now make no mistake, this world as we know it will end. And when I was reading some of the letters of Paul, he had such joy no matter what his circumstances were. No matter where he was, if he was in prison, if he was being lashed and beaten, he had a joy about him because he, could, he experienced and he could see the reality of what was to come, of heaven and eternity, so that this life really meant nothing much to him. He could see that the place to be was in heaven. And a lot of the times, and I think a lot of people that, that we meet and talk to, um, have no concept of anything other than this world and find it hard to believe that there is anything other than what we can see, feel, and touch in this world. And a lot of people don't want to go to heaven. They're running from God, continue to run from Him. And um, just as I said, I was on the coffee van for the first time in, in a long time on Friday night. And it was quite quiet on the fell, wasn't it, Sam? But we had some amazing conversations. And uh, I, I, I basically found it hard to speak at the end of it because I had a sore throat. I'd done that much talking, which is not like me. And, um, <clears throat> but I gave my testimony twice. I gave the gospel twice. And there was one lady who um, was an Irish Catholic. And she said at one point in our conversation, and she was smiling, she was nodding, and she was agreeing with everything I said. 
Um, she said, well, I think as long as we're kind to each other, as long as we don't hurt anyone else, uh, as long as we speak well to each other, then we'll go to heaven. And when I told her, that's not how you get to heaven, her face changed. Her face dropped. It was like a sudden realization. Um, and the conversation went on and... Uh, then she got a phone call from her friends because she just stepped out of the pub to have a cigarette. And she ended up talking to me for 40 minutes. So her friends were saying, where are you? Um, and off she went. But um, I did invite her to come here this morning because she was staying until Monday, but uh, she's not here. But there are so many people who do not understand that this world and this life will come to an end. And there will be something far, far better for those who put their trust in Jesus Christ. Now we can get kind of caught up in, um, in the fear-filled media reports. We can look around the world at the chaos that we see. Selfishness and greed. Contempt for the traditional family and the erosion of traditional marriage. Promiscuity. Abortion. The denial of biological sex as made in the image of God. Consumerism. Lack of respect and compassion for others. Hypocrisy. The list just goes on. Then we had COVID. Now escalating violence. The energy crisis. Global financial collapse. These are the sour and bitter fruits of godlessness. We have pushed God out of our society. And we're seeing the consequences of that. But God holds the key, and the good news is that he could stop the approaching devastation in a heartbeat. More than that, he stands ready to intervene and to help. But he will only do so if we turn from our wickedness back to obedience to him and ask. Now, I read, when I was preparing this, I read David Hathaway's latest newsletter. And it just reminded me, that our Lord will intervene in answer to the humble prayers of His people. And there is real power in prayer. Now, I have to challenge myself here because sometimes when I'm praying, um, I'm not really believing that something's going to happen, that something's going to change. I'm kind of praying and it's sort of, sort of a hopeful prayer and, and a dutiful prayer. But do I really believe that these prayers have power and will be answered. And of course, God's telling me all the time, I'm sure they will. Just believe. Lord, forgive me for my unbelief. Anyway, so I read um, David's newsletter. And I always knew that there was one day during the Second World War when the nation was called to prayer. And, that, and God answered that prayer when the whole nation called but what I didn't realize was that there were seven calls to prayer during the Second World War. There were seven instances when God intervened. Britain in 19... I'm going to read some of this for you. Britain in 1940 was still a Christian country. Every soldier was issued with a copy of the Gospels, inscribed with these words, We commend the Gospel of Christ our Savior, for it alone can effectively mold character, control conduct, and solve the problems of men and nations, and thus make life what it should be. Faith in Christ, the Lord, 
and loyal obedience to his will as revealed in the Bible ensures peace of mind and brings satisfaction in service to God and man. How amazing is that? I would reckon that that's not inscribed and that not every serviceman is given that Bible now. But that statement was signed by the commanders-in-chief of the Royal Navy, the Army, and the Air Force. And seven times, against overwhelming odds, King and Parliament called the whole nation to prayer. Seven times the whole nation turned out and filled the churches, including those who had not been to church for years and those who had never been. And each time, God answered. The first National Day of Prayer was on the 26th of May, 1940. The entire British Army was trapped in France, encircled by the Germans, no escape, and the forecast was for storms in the English Channel, which meant it was impossible to send ships to the rescue. But in answer to prayer, Hitler halted his advance, and God turned the Channel into a mill pond. Every vessel that could float crossed the still waters, and most of the British army, some 335,000 men, got home. The second day of prayer was the 11th of August, 1940, the Battle of Britain. The battle for control of the skies over Britain had begun, and Britain's air power was derisory. On the 30th of August, 800 enemy aircraft blackened the skies and put our key airfields out of action. And by the 6th of September... Defeat appeared inevitable. But suddenly, Hitler ordered the Luftwaffe to switch its attack to London, saving the remnants of fighter command. The third day of prayer followed on the 8th of September. The RAF miraculously had still not been wiped out, but Hitler had massed barges and 50,000 men for the land invasion of Britain. A storm caused the invasion plans to be postponed, on Sunday, the 15th of September, only 10 minutes after it became clear we had no reserve fighter aircraft left, the German action suddenly stopped. The enemy air and sea armada was dispersed and Britain was again delivered. The fourth day of prayer was held on the 23rd of March, 1941, though it was not known that Hitler had chosen this date for the next invasion. In answer to this prayer, an earthquake below the Atlantic seabed threw his ships 80 miles off course and channel storms forced him again to abandon the invasion. Britain stood alone at this time and the home god, I think it dad's wrong me here, the home god could only drill with walking sticks. There were so few guns. But within days of the prayer, Yugoslavia changed from surrender to resistance. Ethiopia was liberated from Mussolini, and Hitler turned east to attack Russia, his biggest military mistake. The fifth day of prayer was, September the, uh, was in September 1942. In the week that followed, Mussolini's fleet was sunk in the Mediterranean. The island of Malta, which controls the Mediterranean, was miraculously delivered. And under General Montgomery, who was a born-again Christian, the course of the war in North Africa was changed at El Alamein, turning unmitigated defeat to victory. Churchill said, Before El Alamein, we never had a victory. After El Alamein, we never had a defeat. 
And the sixth day of prayer was on the 3rd of September 1943 and was immediately answered by the surrender of Italy under Mussolini. And there was a final seventh national day of prayer in the spring of 1944, immediately before D-Day landings, which were to bring the war in Europe to a close. That's the power of prayer. Facing defeat, nothing humanly could be done. But the Christians, the people of the nation, got on their knees as one body and prayed that God would intervene. And he intervened. You know, and my personal interest in the Second World War is simply my dad. This is the, this is the New Testament that he was given, and it's stamped Stalag 313, Geprüft, uh, presented by the Ecumenical Commission for the Chaplaincy Service to Prisoners of War, 41 Avenue de Champelles, Geneva, Switzerland. Now, he was a prisoner of war for three years, my dad. I'm not going to go into the story again. You've heard it before. But, you know... <coughs> Back in those days, there was a belief in Jesus. There was a Christian faith that was powerful in our nation. Our nation was saved. And think of all the good things. I know that there's been bad things, but think of all the good things that our nation has been responsible for down the years. And it's because we were a Christian nation. We believed in God and we trusted in Jesus. And as we've gone secular, and as we've kicked Jesus and got out of our schools and our institutions... What's happened? Our schools and institutions are a mess. They are not performing as they could and should perform. They're not teaching in the way that we used to be taught. That's self-evident to me. And it's so sad. But God remains in control and He's ready and willing to respond to the prayers of His people. Now on a more individual level in terms of answer to prayer... Nikki Gumbel shared this story about Jean Smith. She was in her mid-60s, and she came from Qumran in Wales. She'd been blind for 16 years. She had a white stick and a guide dog named Tina. An infection had eaten away at the retinas and mirrors behind her eyes, and they could not be replaced, and she was in constant pain. Joan went to a local alpha course. Sorry, Jean went to a local alpha course. They had a dear way to focus on the work of the Holy Spirit. And during this time, the pain left. She went to church the following Sunday to thank God. And the minister anointed her with oil. And as she wiped the oil away, she could see the communion table. God had miraculously healed Jean. She'd not seen her husband for 16 years. And she was surprised at how white his beard was. Jean had never seen her daughter-in-law before. Her six-and-a-half-year-old grandson used to guide her around puddles to avoid her getting her feet wet. And he said to her, Who done that, Gran? And she replied, Jesus made me better. Hope you said thank you, Gran. I will never stop saying thank you, she answered. You know, in Philippians 4 and 6, it says, In everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God. And like Jean, the Apostle Paul was also constantly giving thanks to God. He had an attitude of gratitude. Something I think we all need to cultivate. See, praise, praise is giving glory to God for who He is. Thanksgiving 
is giving glory to God for what He's done for us. It's the lens through which to view our entire life. And ultimately, the world can be divided into two categories. Those who acknowledge God and give thanks to Him, and those who don't. And I think, you know, everyone, hopefully everyone here is in the former category where we acknowledge God and we give thanks to Him. We give thanks to Him for every blessing in our lives. Everything we have comes from God. Everything we have belongs to God. Everything we are is for God and for His service and for His purpose. And we miss that. Sadly, so many in this generation have rejected God, opting instead for short-term consumerist and self-serving indulgence, deludedly asserting that it is their human right to have whatever they want at the time of their choosing. Live for yourself, the world proclaims. Have a good time. Indulge your senses. Pursue every pleasure. Strive for success. And if you do, these voices will add, you'll be happy and blessed. Really? How does that work out? Billy Graham, who was personally acquainted with many U.S. presidents and some of the most famous celebrities of the 20th century, answered like this. Some of the most miserable people I've ever known were highly successful in the eyes of the world. But down inside, they were restless and spiritually empty. And he then asked, Have you fallen into the world's trap, following its self-indulgent goals and driven by self-centered motives? He warned, It can happen without you even being aware of it. His solution, make sure Christ is first in your life and make it your goal to live according to his word. And when I read that, when I was preparing for this, boy, was I challenged. When, when he says, it can happen without you even being aware of it. And I suddenly started to question myself. And what my motivations are. I've been asking myself that question all week. See, for Christians, though we too have to go through what the world faces. You know, the rain falls on the good and the bad. Whatever happens to this country, we're in it and it's going to fall upon us. We're going to face it just along with every unbeliever out there. But we have nothing to fear. Because in and through Christ, we are children of God and we have life. Whatever may come, we have the strength and protection of the Lord and the promise of life to come. You know, we've got some older people in here today and we've got people like me who are really young. Um, and we've got some even younger than me. But you know, as you get older, as I'm sure many here will testify, the body starts to give way. It doesn't function like it used to. You can't do the things that your mind tells you you can. Um, it comes to all of us. But be assured of this. We will all, who trust in Jesus, be given a glorified new body, freed from frailties and illness and damage. And we'll spend our eternity in His presence. 
So the message to all remains. Each one of us has a choice. And we should choose to follow not the crowd, but the Lord. Repent, therefore, while there is still time. Turn to the Lord, because in Him you will find love, healing, fulfillment, joy, all that you need. There's a promise in Isaiah 33. It says, The Lord is exalted, for He dwells on high. He will fill Zion with His justice and righteousness. He will be the stability of your times. Exalting God is the key to experiencing His justice and His righteousness and the stability that only He can bring. See, everybody wants stability. They want stability in their lives. They want stability in their job. They want stability in their finances. They want stability. And then they look around the world and there is no stability. Nobody feels... Does anyone... Ask the question. Does anyone feel as secure in this country now as you were 20 years ago? Two years ago? Three years ago? Before COVID? Nobody does. If we're honest, we don't. We don't feel as secure. We don't feel the stability that, you know, we've been blessed to be born when we were born and live through the generation that we've lived through. Um, we haven't faced the persecution that Christians have faced in other countries. We've had a stable country where, you know, we could look to enjoy life, if you like. That was a blessing. But it's only God who brings that. It's only in Jesus that we can have that uh, stability. So I want us to close. The band can come back up now and get ready. Um, but I want us to close with the final words of the Bible, the epilogue, the invitation and the warning, if you like, of Revelation, chapter 22 and verses 12 to 21. Look, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me. I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. For those caught in sin, there is still time. Even at this late hour, to repent and find life. This world with its corruption and evil must pass. 
in order to allow the greater and the better to come. Don't be fearful. Put your trust in Jesus. And you can be assured of a stable future and in his presence in a renewed body for eternity. Thank you.